Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is an RNZ podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Slevin, sitting in for Simon Morris, this week on At The Movies. A homeless mother tries to win her kids back from the care of the state. It's my little girl's birthday, and I promised her, if I can just drop off the prezzies and the cake, no worries be gone, you know. No one need to know. An English explorer and a steamboat captain head up the Amazon in search of a legendary healing flower. I consider 5,000 real more than adequate. 10,000, I take you there myself. I am my best captain. Oh, and you're most modest. Fine, 10,000. 10,000 to bring you there alive. If I have to bring you back dead, it's 15,000. Why should I pay more dead? Dead, I'd have to carry you. Dead's a lot harder, lady. And a ragtag band of do-gooders teams up to steal gold bars hidden in a Muslim Brotherhood prison. Okay, I'm in. But if I do this, and this comes off, it's because of what I bring to the table. I'm in charge. What I say goes. No exceptions. We can live with that. That's why we picked you. I'm not allowed to come. It's against the rules. I'm going to have you both with me by your birthday, though. Don't tell her that. It's bullshit, and you're confusing her. I'm going to get a house for us all real soon. Okay, that's enough, Bunny. Are we really going to have my birthday at our new house? Yes, baby. And we can go to the hot pools. Bunny, sorry, I'm going to have to end the visit today. The last time I saw Essie Davis was when I watched the made-for-TV feature film Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears, which I reviewed for this programme back in lockdown last year. Miss Davis absolutely owned that character, the doughty Australian detective with the great frocks, as she had for more than 30 episodes of the ABC series Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries in the early years of the last decade. So I have to note how unrecognisable she is in the new New Zealand drama The Justice of Bunny King, directed by first-time feature director Gayson Thavat. She plays the eponymous bunny with a full-throated commitment and carries the film on her shoulders. Bunny King is a single mother living in Auckland, but without her kids. She's homeless, crashing on her sister and brother-in-law's couch and supplementing the meagre benefit with the cash from washing car windscreens at an intersection. As it happens, one of the most dangerous occupations you can find. But the camaraderie amongst her fellow window washers is something for her to cling on to. We don't know why the state has custody of her kids, but we can guess that it must have been something traumatic because Bunny is perpetually on edge and desperate to get them back. But to have them returned, first she needs a home for them. And in this crazy market, well, tell her she's dreaming. 
Is this carpet new? Well, there are a lot of people interested, just so you know. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm going to take it. Ah, uh, no, I mean... Look, have you got any references? It's just pointless if you don't leave one. Oh, yeah, my, my sister's my landlord. I'll give you her number. Uh, and I'll need proof of income, a payslip or letter from your employer. I'm self-employed. How much is your benefit? $230 plus accommodation supplement. Thanks for coming. One sec. Didn't see the bathroom. With a strong heart, but with what you might call a distorted tactical awareness, Bunny gets thrown out of her sister's place, but she manages to rescue her niece, Tonya, played by Thomas and Mackenzie, in full misunderstood teenager mode. The pair of them hit the road to try and find the rest of the family, fostered, as I said, on behalf of the state, so they can celebrate the birthday of Shannon, her youngest, played by Emily Baines, and spend the day as a family at the Hot Pools. This rash promise made so early in the film, at a moment of such raw vulnerability and under such pressure, is a promise that she cannot back down from. One of the first lessons you learn as a parent is never to disappoint a child, and for the most part you handle that by managing expectations, not making promises you know you can't keep. But Bunny can't help herself, and so begins a relentless spiral into inevitable tragedy. The film reminded me of Mike Lee's classic from 1993, Naked, which introduced the world to David Thewlis. Bunny charges through this film on her mission, alienating everyone she meets. Now, some of those people could do with a bit of alienating, quite frankly, but some of them don't. Some are just trying to do their best in a bad situation, and when they get caught up in the whirlwind of Bunny King, they just end up having a very bad day of their own. Can you ask Bevan? He's already letting you stay. You've got to stand on your own two feet. I'm not asking you to be their guardian. This is Bevan's house. It's his rules. You're talking about me. You know what? It's it's real cold and shitty down there in the garage, Bunny. I will get blankets. I'll get a heater. I'll still look after the kids. I'll look after Cynthia. I'll do the meals. I'll even clean your car once a week. <laughs> It'd be nice for the kids to spend time with their cousins. Of course. Now you could pay some more rent. That'd be cool. Thanks, babe. You didn't have to do that. My favourite performance happens to be from Tanya Heke as Trish, the supervisor of the government organisation responsible for child welfare. As Bunny's years of frustration and pain put her on a collision course with the authorities, she's calm and soft-spoken, but world-weary, as if she sees things like this every day, which she probably does. The justice of Bunny King lets you draw your own conclusions about the root causes of all this dislocation, alienation and fracture. But I wouldn't have minded a little bit more of a steer towards those causes 
40 years of neoliberal economic orthodoxy and self-focused, anti-community, materialistic social values. They've left us in this state, not the rather helpless social workers or foster carers on whom Bunny vents her rage. They are victims in all of this too, forced to reduce the people in their care to cogs in a soulless system. It's a system that serves nobody. The Justice of Bunny King is a great showcase for New Zealand's women cinema makers. Jenny Lone behind the camera, Kushla Dillon as editor, Rose Guthrie's production design. And Kirsty Cameron's costumes managed to make what might have become poverty tropes interesting and colourful but still authentic. My bum notes were rare, but I have to acknowledge them. The occasional falling back on cliched images like giant power transformers, freight trains and dogs roaming free, the universal signifiers of the working class, and the occasional sense that screenwriter Sophie Henderson, or maybe it's back in the bones of the story by Henderson, Thavat and Greg King, that the scales are loaded too heavily against Bunny from the start. Is there one too many traumas to overcome? But that worry soon passes as the filmmaking carries you along. I didn't know she was coming back. One night he shook her so hard. And then he just slammed her into a wall. I remember looking at him and thinking... do to you what you did to her. I got this animal rage. The Justice of Bunny King is rated M for domestic abuse themes, violence and offensive language. It's playing in select cinemas all over New Zealand now. If you look to the left of the boat, you'll see some very playful toucans. They're playing their favorite game of beak wrestling. The only drawback is, only two can play. There's two birds and those are toucans, and saying there's only two can play. Not one, but two can play. The rocks you see here in the river are sandstone, but some people just take them for granted. It's one of my bolder attractions. You know, before this, I used to work in an orange juice factory, but I got canned. Couldn't concentrate. Yeah, they put the squeeze on me, too. That's a good one. I should have opened with that one. You know, they say the boa constrictor right there is capable of eating up to 500 pounds per sitting. Personally, I find that very hard to swallow. Mommy, can you please make him stop? No one can. And don't interrupt me like that again. I will feed you to the boa. She is a small child. He loves small children. It's been 70 years since John Houston's The African Queen, 40 years since Raiders of the Lost Ark, 35 years since Romancing the Stone, and 5 years since The Lost City of Z. And the new Disney family adventure Jungle Cruise owes a huge debt to each and every one, and repays none of them. One of the oldest and possibly the shortest rides at Disneyland is The Jungle Cruise, 
Eight minutes long, meandering through somewhat faithfully recreated river jungles of Africa, South America and Asia, since 1955, the ride is one of the few that isn't actually on rails. The skipper actually has to steer, and it's one of the few where a park character gets to do a bit of improv, although never straying too far from the dad joke material that Dwayne Johnson was showing off in the intro clip. So, nostalgia and the dictates of the Walt Disney Company shareholders insists that one of the most charming but least exciting rides be turned into a thriller-minute version of Romancing the Lost Ark or whatever. But it also has to be super supernatural as well, you see, so the kids and grown-ups can wow over the amazing Weta digital special effects. I also suspect that this is a contractual obligation picture for Emily Blunt, who may well have had to sign on to this at the same time she signed up to play Mary Poppins a couple of years ago. One for you, and one for us. Breaking and entering, grand larceny, and worst of all, forced to take public transport. Shall I be concerned about you? Why would you say that, McGregor? This is a petal that could heal all, save countless lives, change the world. Haven't you been dreaming about another adventure? I wanted to go to a primitive backwater where I can't understand a word anyone's saying. I'd visit our relatives in Scotland. <laughs> Barely got over that hideous trip with Father to Bhutan. You only lost two toes. I was seven. Then just stay here. You can. You can just stay here. Don't worry about me. All alone in the Amazon. But who'd look after you? Oh, I have no idea. Come on, cheer up. Steamer to Brazil, rail to Porto Velho, then all we need is a skipper. Ms Blunt plays Lily Houghton, a naturalist and adventurer, thwarted by London's stuffy and sexist royal society when she wants to mount an expedition to the Peruvian Amazon to find a legendary plant called the Tears of the Moon, whose petals have the most marvellous healing properties. In the right hands, this discovery will bring a general improvement in the health and well-being of all humanity. But in the wrong ones, it would mean... German Great War soldiers would heal quicker than our Tommies and our Diggers, etc. Which is why Jesse Plemons, as a German prince, is determined to get his hands on the plant first. So we have a race, and along for the ride are Lily's fish-out-of-water brother McGregor, played by new-to-me British comedian Jack Whitehall, and of course the skipper himself, played by Dwayne Johnson, who also executive produces. On the way, they discover the reanimated corpses of cursed conquistadors led by Don Aguirre, Edgar Ramirez, who are also after the healing powers of the short-lived special flower petals. The picture is directed by Spaniard Jaume Cole Serra, who has made some of Liam Neeson's best recent films, The Commuter Springs to Mind, but who here pulls off the remarkable feat of de-charming the rock, which I didn't think was possible. He seems intent on making a different film from the one that Disney wants. The nostalgia I mentioned above is done away with early, and the action in the final act takes on a decidedly spooky turn, which younger viewers might find a bit too much. I was also struck by how many of the shots are explicitly composed for 3D. Are people still doing that? Is 3D still even a thing? Was it even when this film was supposed to come out a year ago? Maybe it was when the green light was lit a few years before. Anyway, it was very disconcerting after all this time. 
I consider 5,000 real more than adequate. 10,000, I take you there myself. I am my best captain. Oh, and you're most modest. Fine, 10,000. 10,000 to bring you there alive. If I have to bring you back dead, it's 15,000. Why should I pay more dead? Dead, I'd have to carry you. Dead's a lot harder, lady. 20, dead or alive. Okay, but I get paid in full when we turn back before La Grima Stica style. Why ever would we be turning back? Well, you're gonna beg me to turn back. First sign of the rapids. Well, I look forward to disappointing you. Lily, look what I found at the hotel bar. Ah, Mr. Nilo. Buongiorno, signore. He drives a hard bargain, but he met his match with me. Negotiated him down to 50,000. Who's your friend? Not Mr. Nilo. I mentioned films like The African Queen earlier on, movies that were clearly influential on this one, but in fact the greatest debt of all is owed to a very unlikely source. Nearly 50 years ago, Werner Herzog took a film crew and a highly strung actor called Klaus Kinski up the Amazon to make a film about a Spanish conquistador called, yes, Aguirre, and the journey he and his soldiers took, going mad, trying to find not the tears of the moon, but El Dorado. It's absolutely no coincidence, and for film buffs, the parallels are delicious. After Captain Frank's banter on the first boat trip, he has a very Herzog-like rant about how the jungle just wants to kill you, and Jesse Plemons' unlikely German prince villain has a very Werner vibe to him. After all, Trying to sail a U-boat up the Amazon is just as quixotic as trying to carry a steamship over a hill in Fitzcarraldo. He even sounds like Herzog. There is no harmony in the universe. We have to get acquainted to this idea that there is no real harmony as we have conceived it. But when I say this, I say this all full of admiration for the jungle. It is not that I hate it. I love it. I love it very much but I love it against my better judgment. So how do you enjoy this jungle? I beg your pardon? This jungle. Yeah, sorry. The jungle. Try it slower. The jungle. Could you pop it in a sentence? The trees, the, the bugs, the, the jungle. The jungle? Yes, that is what I said. Right. How do you enjoy it? It's actually rather grown on me. I, I don't care anymore. Jungle Cruise is rated M for violence and is playing in cinemas all over New Zealand now or for $39.99 plus the usual monthly subscription of $12.99 you can watch it at home on Disney Plus over and over again for at least three months when it'll become available to everyone else. You got the wrong guy here because rights is not what I do. Oh, we know. (laughs) You got quite the reputation. And the only thing that you better at than stealing people's shit is getting caught and escaping. You're a damn legend. Finally, a film whose existence is more perplexing than entertaining. What looks like a vanity project for a Palestinian prince who lives in Finland and who has managed to rope in a few big names for a paycheck gig. Rami Jaber or Prince Rami Jaber, as he prefers to be known, is the lead producer and one of the stars of The Misfits, a film that takes advantage of his connections to Abu Dhabi by utilising some of the most spectacular Middle Eastern locations. If only any other aspect of the film was as spectacular as that. Jaber plays a character called The Prince, 
Can you see a pattern forming here? Who has put together a group of expert criminals and turned them into a force for good. A master of disguise, played by Nick Cannon. An explosives expert, played by Thai star Mike Angelo. And a beautiful assassin, portrayed by former reality TV star turned actor Jamie Chung. They are joined rather reluctantly, by Pierce Brosnan, putting on his considerable charm, but landing closer to Remington Steele than to James Bond. Tim Roth is the villain, a private prison entrepreneur, offering his services to the highest, or indeed any, bidder, and laundering money for the Jaziristan Muslim Brotherhood at the same time. In the journey from us to us, all men tell the truth. A man's eyes cannot lie. Not to me. Especially when I hold them in my hand. If I thought it was you, we would not be having this conversation. Ah, right. Well, that's that then. If there's nothing else, i got a bit of company in the manner. Directed without much commitment by Rennie Harlan, the Finnish hack who made one classic diehard picture in 1990 and managed to turn that into an ever-so-slowly shrinking career, The Misfits is inspired by the laddish action comedies of Guy Ritchie. But it's just boorish and racist, and the special effects look like the kind you get on an app to add explosions and gunfire to the home movies on your smartphone. We're going to need a hazmat cleanup immediately. I, I don't... Then a home. You do not want it to become international crisis. No, 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 we don't. Um, uh, what did you say you need? Hazmat. Hazmat? In, in, in Arabic? Uh, who died? Not Arabic. Hazmat. No, Hazmat. Hazmat. The Misfits is rated M for violence and offensive language and is playing in select cinemas around New Zealand now. And that's our programme for this week. We're going to play ourselves out with the closing theme from Jungle Cruise, one of the more bizarre collaborations I've come across in a while. This is James Newton Howard with Metallica, together on their classic heavy metal anthem, Nothing Else Matters. Before we go, please take a moment with me to remember the 2,000 or more cinema prints and other irreplaceable archive material that was destroyed last Thursday in a fire at the Cinemateca Brasileira in São Paulo, Brazil. The Brazilian Cinematheque, the equivalent of our Nataonga Sound and Vision, had been home to the archive of Brazilian motion picture history since 1940, but it had been all but abandoned since last year when the Bolsonaro regime withdrew all funding. Now, I won't call the Brazilian president a fascist because he's notoriously quick to call the lawyers, but I will say that petulantly restricting access to a country's cultural history is the kind of thing a fascist might do. At the opening night of the Cannes Film Festival a month ago, jury member and Brazilian filmmaker Kleber Mendonça Filho said... The Brazilian Cinematheque has been closed for just over a year now. All the technicians and experts have been fired. This has been a very clear demonstration of contempt for culture and for cinema. And the jury president, Spike Lee, responded by saying, The world is run by gangsters. I'll be back next week 
when the 2016 comic book Dirty Dozen Suicide Squad gets a sequel and a definite article. So why not join me here once more at the same time next week? (laughs) Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.